Okay, I admit it. Sometimes I don't feel like reading anything edifying or preparing for my next interview. There are times when all I want to do is settle into the sofa with a cat on my lap and stare at the tube. Oh, it's not habit-forming. I mean, television puts me to sleep before I'm really hooked most of the time. But what if the shows were really good? What if entertainment was so compelling that people lost interest in doing anything else, working or talking to their families, even eating? That's the premise of Infinite Jest, a novel by David Foster Wallace that's part science fiction and part satire. Wallace told Judith Strasser that in the world he's created, everything's evolved way beyond what it is now, even corporate sponsorship. The calendar's been subsidized so that dates appear with corporate names on them. The contemporary year that the action takes place in is called the year of the dependent adult undergarment. Entertainment technology has progressed to the point where um, pretty much anything you want is available on a, on a sort of, they're called cartridges. There would probably be like digital VCR things. And the U.S. is in a state of tension with, um, well, let's see, NATO has collapsed and there's a North American alliance, but the U.S. and Canada are having heavy-duty friction, partly due to the fact that the U.S. has toxified and then given away some of its terrain to Canada. Um, and people are essentially connected, I guess, in all the sorts of ways that the uh, that the great champions of the Internet and Information Highway are, are so excited about now. And the action is only about 10 or 15 years in the future, really. But people are really addicted to entertainment, aren't they? They are in the book, but I don't think... I, I, I think perhaps in a, in a starker way in the book. I mean, the book is centered around a kind of movie that's that's actually fatally good, but it doesn't seem to me that it's... I mean, it's probably a kind of parodic exaggeration of people's relationship to entertainment now, but I don't think it's all that different. Into this world that you've created comes Infinite Jest, the movie. And you, you've you talked about Infinite Jest being fatal. Why, what do you mean? What, what is Infinite Jest? I think the standard agenda of any piece of entertainment is to be as entertaining as possible. The problem with the movie Infinite Jest is that it's it's lethally entertaining, meaning it's watching it is so much more fun than doing anything else. Once somebody's watched it once, they pretty much have the spiritual energies of a moth and want to uh, do nothing more than watch it again and again and again until they die of probably dehydration. Um, <laughs> part of the plot of the book is that is that certain Canadian elements have gotten a hold of of. Uh, of parts of this movie and want to sort of broadcast it to the U.S. And the question is whether U.S. citizens have the wherewithal to keep from to keep from entertaining themselves to death or not. You know, it, it sounds outlandish when you talk about it, but then I, I think about people who really enjoy something, particularly something that's very, very funny, and they say, oh, that just kills me, mm. that slays me. Mm. A lot of uh, what, uh, something that's interesting to me is a lot of really ecstatic pleasures are linked, interestingly, sort of with death. You know, the the book is meant to seem kind of surreal and outlandish at first and then in sort of a creepy way to seem not all that implausible. And it, it, it would seem to me, I mean, at some point in the next 10 or 15 years, we're going to have virtual reality pornography, which I would just invite you to think about, given the level of, you know, people whose lives are ruined just by addiction to sort of video peep show stores now. I mean, what it's, what it's going to be like and what sort of resources we're going to have to cultivate in ourselves and in our citizenry to keep from sort of dying in cou on couches. I mean, maybe that sounds silly, but this stuff's going to get better and better and better and better. And it's not clear to me that, that we as a culture are, are teaching ourselves or our children, you know, what we're going to say yes and no to. Do people understand the movie as something dangerous? Well, part of the book 
concerns the U.S. government's attempt to mount a sort of sufficiently scary PR campaign to keep people from watching it, but not a campaign so scary that it will make people rush out and want to see it, you know, for the same reasons that high school students now rush out to procure the, the, the latest, newest, horrible drug that's supposed to be so ecstatic it blows your brains out. Or why the V-chip may backfire. Yeah, I think the V-chip career is going to be very interesting. I, my prediction is the egg timer is running on it right now. <laughs> I think it's got maybe a year. So the government itself is is is, is walking this tightrope trying to say don't watch it but but it's not so bad that you have to watch it. I guess, you know, w- w- when you get down to where the cheese binds, I think a lot of the sort of hugger mugger in the book comes down to the fact that, you know, the, the government can't really do a whole lot. That, that our decisions about how re- we relate to fun and entertainment and sports and pretty much anything are very personal, private. They're, they're sort of between us and our heart. And so there's a fair amount of high comedy of the government going around wringing its hands trying to figure out what to do. In fact, I think what's going to happen... I don't think it's all that hard to see. What's going to happen is that these are decisions that are going to have to be made, you know, inside us as as individuals about what we're going to give ourselves away to and what we aren't. Although the the pressures on us are absolutely incredible. I mean, I was thinking in the world that we have today, you can't have just TV news. You have to have entertaining TV news. You can't have a documentary or plain old information. You have to have infotainment. Well, I, I think the I think the pressures aren't just on us, but I think they're on you know the TV networks, which are businesses, and which have found now that enter, entertaining news um, is vastly more profitable. The reason for that is that we, as an audience of individuals, seem to be voting you know with our wallets for the entertaining news, and the the changes that are going to need to come, I think, are going to need to come in terms of uh, in terms of our own individual tastes, rather than any sort of laws passed on the networks about violence or you know news content or anything like that. It just I guess my point is right right now and I think the next 15 or 20 years are going to be a very scary and, and sort of very exciting time when we have to sort of re- reevaluate our relationship to fun and pleasure and entertainment because it's going to get so good and so high pressure that we're going to have to forge some kind of, of attitude toward it that lets us live. How did we get to this point? I mean, you know, if you roll back the clock uh, 50 years – um, certainly entertainment wasn't one of our gods back then. I, I think you can roll the clock back really thousands of years when you have arguments in Plato about what, what kinds of pleasures are more worthwhile than others. I mean, I know that in certain moods, um, when I'm tired or when I'm in some sort of pain, I want kind of infantile pleasures. I want to sit and receive pleasure without having to give anything or do anything. And oh, I think, you just had me flashing on the amount of time I spend on Tetris on the computer. Yeah, which the thing about it is that, you know, this stuff seems to me to be a little bit like candy. I mean, candy's all right, a couple pieces of candy a day. When it becomes your diet, you get sick really fast. Part of our problem seems to be, I think, that first of all, that the candy's getting better and better and better. And second of all, that I think somehow we as a culture have stopped, have, have stopped or are afraid to teach ourselves that pleasure is dangerous. And that some kinds of pleasure are better than others, and that part of being a human being means deciding how much of an how much of active participation we want to have in our own lives. I, I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm anti-TV or anti-entertainment. I just think that it's a really sort of exciting opportunity to decide whether our relationship to the world is going to be fundamentally passive and infantile, or one that's um, that's sort of active and hard and takes more work. Does that make any sense? Yeah, what I'm wondering is whether there's anything in our culture which encourages us to make the kinds of 
distinctions between pleasures, for example, that, that you're saying we have to make? Well, sure there is. Um, I think the, the first leading cause of death among teenagers is suicide. Drug addiction, uh, sexual addiction, gambling addiction in this country is, is epidemic. The divorce rate is sky high. I mean, people, people in this country are lost and wandering around and looking to give themselves away to something that will maybe love them back as much as they love it. I mean, I think there's plenty of incentive to, uh, to reevaluate uh, sort of our relationship to the world and, and what we view as pleasures. The question, I think, is, is, is sort of an individual one, is that what level of pain do we need to reach before we begin, begin to be willing to undertake the work of that reevaluation? The only people, though... Well, all right. The 12-step programs aside, which, which your language and actually a lot of the book um, sort of reflects, it seems to be the, the Christian right that is dealing with this question more than any other part of society. Well, the Christian right, I think, is a very scary and logical part of this. Um, the Christian right basically wants to take away the power of people's choices to make their own decisions and want to make those choices for them. It seems to me that, um, I mean, I'm not a member of any 12-step program, but the reason why these programs interest me is because they seem to involve people who've sort of bottomed out on the great American way of life, who are having now to sort of, to sort of redefine and, and remake some kind of force that they're going to give themselves away to. The Christian right seems to me, I mean, the scariest thing about our relationship to, to sort of to, to pleasure and entertainment is that as we get more and more, quote, decadent and more and more unhappy, I think at a certain point... Um, we are going to be desperate enough to have other people just tell us what to do, that the form of fascism that I think goes under the name, the Christian right, is going to be probably, is going to look viable to a lot of people. And it's, I think it's pretty scary. What does all of this um, reflection on entertainment and emphasis in the book, not in the book, but I mean in the world, our world, on entertainment and the connection of entertainment and commercialism mean for you as a writer? Boy, I don't know. I mean, I can remember having arguments with with my teachers all the way back in college because they regarded references to pop culture or references to our relationship to pop culture as kind of mannered and part of some sort of school. I, I don't I don't know how old your listeners are. I was born in 1962, and you know, I grew up with television the same way I grew up with like trees, you know, and parks and books. I mean, I sort of consider myself to be a realist, and a lot of what I think seems very strange or kind of, you know avant-garde-ish in the book is mostly just an attempt to, to be mimetic about how kind of the world feels against our nerve endings right now. Are you out to entertain with the book? I mean... Well, this, this, this is one of the, you know, razor edges I felt like I was walking when doing it. This is a very long and fairly difficult book that I also wanted not to be a standard kind of avant-garde book, most of which right now I admire as a writer, but just aren't very much fun to read. So I wanted it to be both long and difficult, but also to be fun enough, you know, so the reader wouldn't throw it at the wall on page 100. And I realize that sets up certain ironies, since the book itself is about entertainment. The book is called Infinite Jest. Judith Strasser talked with its author, David Foster Wallace. Coming up, 19th century sleaze and showman P.T. Barnum. I'm Jim Fleming. It's to the best of our knowledge.